Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. Welcome back to Talent Hub Talk. Firstly, I would like to thank all of our loyal listeners for regularly tuning in. It really does mean a lot. This is our 200th episode, and it has been an amazing journey having so many awesome guests from the Salesforce ecosystem on the show. I hope you enjoy the conversations as much as I do. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sanja Mangulka, Senior Manager and Salesforce CTA. Sanja provides a run-through of her early career, how she came to work with Salesforce, and what she has seen to be the differences between working both onshore and offshore. Sanja talks through the different Salesforce roles she has had, how she had focused on certain products and industries before finding her way into the pre-sales space. Sanja explains the benefits and drawbacks about working in a pre-sales role when it comes to attempting the CTA. She explains where her gaps were and describes what it was like to pass the review board. Finally, Sanja shares what is next for her and how the CTA has affected the role she wants to be in. I hope you enjoy the episode. Sanja, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Like I've been associated with Salesforce ecosystem, so I've known you, followed you for long, heard most of your podcasts. So it's completely my privilege to be on this podcast. No, not at all. It's definitely my pleasure. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about your career and a career that's taken you to a few different countries and obviously to some major achievements, which includes um, recently becoming the, the, the CTA that you are today. But we will cover that as we go. I, I like to kind of start at the beginning of your journey there to set the scene for our, our listeners. So can you remember when in your life and, and where and how you first became interested in technology and decided that that was going to be something you wanted to pursue as a career? Actually, technology came to my life quite as an accident. I did my engineering in electronics and telecom back in 2004, where the mobile technology was actually rising. And I was, I thought that is where I'm going to be. Unfortunately, there was not a lot of inclusion and diversity at that point of time. And since it was a lot of field work, uh, so Indian IT uh, telecom company at least actually preferred a lot of male candidates. In fact, I was not even sitting for IT campus at that point of time. Like in engineering, uh, you have IT companies coming in. But at some point of time, I realized, let's be practical, at least give some, you know, I have some job in hand. So that's how I landed myself in Mastic. And um, after some basic um, IT training, I started as an uh, in a application development project for UK Council. That's where my IT journey started and never went back to telecom. <laughs> So can can you tell me a bit about what what that first role was like for you then in the workforce because it wasn't it wasn't a Salesforce role so was it uh, were you a programmer were you doing d development like what what did that look like Actually I did all so uh, the technology that I landed in first it was a bit of old technology it is Ingress and Open Road 90% of the world have not even heard of it so that is what a lot of UK councils were working um, back in 2005. I don't know whether they have changed. But Ingress is Oracle database, PLSQL, and Open Road is VB. But since it was so native, um, the project usually had struggled to get people in. So what they used to ensure is whoever comes in gets an overall development. So, uh, you know, we used to do everything. We used to do code, code review, start writing functional requirements very early in the career. 
in the first year of my life, I was a DBA, also configuration in charge, which is modern day DevOps. So, you know, you get a whole SDLC experience. And luckily for me, in my two and a half years itself, I traveled to UK, was client facing, working with a client directly, uh, you know, helping them uh, with user acceptance, uh, regression testing, as well as, uh, you know, reviewing the code that was coming on shore, you know, having uh, playbacks with the client, also taking care of any P1 issues that were coming out of UK councils, which had to be just resolved in one or two hours. And uh, when I was back from UK, like I was there for some six to seven months, I actually became the lead of the same team I had left behind. So within my four and five years in Mastic, I actually had from developer to lead full experience. So when I left, you know, I, I kind of had a full-blown IT experience and was ready for whatever IT would throw at me. So I think my first experience was great and um, you know, first job is always your first love. So I always look back at it with good memories. So so obviously you you mentioned that was quite niche. So was was there the potential for you to continue working in that space, like the the areas that you you had initially landed in? There there was and is. Like as I said, it is native. There's not many people on that. So even at UK, I think uh, people with ingress and open road get highly paid because there's not many. Actually, it quite changed for me. I uh, got married. My husband was in a different city and I wanted to move uh, from Mumbai to Pune. And he was on Salesforce. And that's how I actually landed into Salesforce. Just after marriage, he had gone to US for a very small stint. I traveled with him and um, it was recession. So it, it wasn't a great decision. People weren't happy that I left job. And, you know, I was just traveling with my husband, but it all turned up good. Um, there were H1Bs available. His manager decided to do H1B for uh, both of us. I landed in the Salesforce. I was a SaaS project manager, business application analyst, took care of a lot of application, including Salesforce, Jira, a marketo which is now bought by um, Oracle. So that was my en entry to SaaS world from native to directly, you know, SaaS, which was just picking up back in 2009. So this was when I remember in Dreamforce, um, Chatter was announced as a very big thing. They actually called it Facebook of corporate world and everyone was very excited. So that's where I started Salesforce. It's been a nice and long journey. <laughs> So at that point, obviously, you mentioned your partner is or was working in Salesforce. Did you, were you actively like trying to, to move into the Salesforce space at that time based on what you knew? Or, or did, was it just, it just so happens that the role you landed was also looking after Salesforce? So somewhere I knew at that point, I didn't want to be in Ingress Open Road when I started. So as I said, I just had accompanied him. So because he was working on Salesforce and it was niche, I started reading about it and it was you know, open road ingress, we, as I said, everything had to be done. You know, the screens had to be done. Even if you had to create, like like LWC, you have to create everything that you want to see on the screen. And it wasn't even uh, very code friendly. You had to do a lot of manual coding. So at some point when I saw Salesforce, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, everything comes. You just have to configure. And that time it was more of configure. And uh, yes, uh, obviously customization was al always there. So I liked it. I started reading it. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just sitting. Let me get my Salesforce admin done. And that's how I fell in love and started and thankfully landed a job in US where I was working with end user and understood the problems and 
could resolve it very quickly with Salesforce, which would have taken long time with the software I was working with. So yeah, that's how I think uh, it, it all started. And you, you had been a developer, or like you said, you kind of did everything um, in, in the first role. You, you did a bit of everything. Had you ever um, done any coding, any, any development work in, in the Salesforce space? Not in Salesforce. I did in my previous job. That was a 15-year-old system. Uh, so apart from the application development, when the AMS used to come, we had to read the 15-year-old code. So it was scary sometimes because, you know, it has so much code to go through and things like that. So at that point, yes, I did. But very early in the career, I said, as I said, I moved to the project management kind of role. Uh, as I said, I never thought I would be a coder. I always wanted to be in telecom. So coding wasn't my first love, but I lo- I loved Salesforce as a product. I loved how you could, you know, marry the domain and get what the client, you know, solve the client issues uh, very easily in using Salesforce. I, I like the designing part more than the coding part. And somehow I never went back to coding, which was detrimental at some stages of my life. But and, and some friends of mine always said, why are you so, you know, against coding? But I was like, I don't know. I, like, I love designing, architecting, but coding is not my cup of tea. And thankfully for me, I think chat GPT has come. And so I'm not afraid that I didn't code because the world is going to be uh, more easier for coders. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. And the reason I ask that question is because I think there's this perception with some people that to be a CTA, you have to come from a development background or have, you know, a, a good level of technical depth in terms of development and, and coding. But I just wanted to draw that out because I think people listening to this who don't come from that background or haven't necessarily been a coder in the Salesforce world can take inspiration and, and, and guidance from that as well. So that, that's good to know. When you returned to, to India, you, you went into consulting, right? And, um, and you were working for Arxis, who is a company that, that over the years has been well known here in Australia, obviously not, not so much now, but a lot of listeners will, will know of um, Arxis in, in the, the earlier days. Having reviewed your your profile, it looked like you had some specialisms, and one of them was Pardot, which to me um, isn't an area that has a huge amount of, I guess, specialists in. There are some, but it's not as popular as Marketing Cloud, as an example, from a career perspective. And then also you were specializing in some industry verticals. So have you found that having that specialization has been beneficial for your career? As as I earlier said, I am a very true believer that, you know, you need to understand the domain first, actual client problems before, you know, using technology to solve it. So from my previous experience, as I said, I very closely worked with the end user. I understood their problem and somehow I got that understanding and empathy and that actually helped with me in non-for-profit. So what was happening at that point of time, um, even now, but Salesforce were giving 10 free licenses for non-for-profit. So the leadership wanted to automate things and uh, the end user actually um, or you know the employees actually already struggled with time because they have to do donation they have to do their day-to-day activities and things like that and then that IT project actually came to them as an overhead so um, you know actually talking to them understanding the problem with empathy and delivering something which worked for them they could easily adopt that was actually a journey and not everyone is very comfortable doing with non-for-profit because, you know, you have to be very patient with them. That time, non-for-profit was just a package. So you had to do a lot of customization as well. So it was a great learning along with domain, you know, learned a lot of things on technology as well. 
same thing for manufacturing we are actually building a bit management solution on on opportunity so opportunity was just a basic object and then if you have to manage multiple bits on it decide who wins and then you know that is the final uh, opportunity amount per se that was a lot of customization and uh, we did it for a lot of famous manufacturing like james hardy hunter douglas schindler's lift with pardot it was a different story so actually salesforce australia were looking for partners to do onboarding as you said it's niche not many people out there i had some experience with pardot that's how i landed i traveled to sydney uh, took the onboarding training now when i say onboarding what they needed was um, help them set up pardot so then they can start uh, sending emails journeys and do everything first like help them with their first email templates sending emails create journeys so for journeys you have to actually work understand the use case help them you know whiteboard their idea and then create it so i did a lot of them for their australia uh, you know australian clients as well as uh, indian clients here i think marketing was learning on the job for me like i knew the app because i used to help uh, my end users back in uh, us but i was not very functional about it as i worked with them i think i uh, understood marketing what all can be done end of it came out of with marketing a part out as well as marketing cloud certification so that's always been my journey i have gone in understood the domain technology and then ensure that i got a certified so it it's a full circle with uh, you know whatever i was doing has part up been a consistent in your career like has that been something you've kind of continued to work with over the years actually stone from to part uh, up to marketing cloud now so when i was with axis i worked a lot in part up but now part up is not used like it's used for account manage and in fact they have also named it as um, account management i think i'm not very sure sales was keep changing the name but more of part up has started reducing over the years and marketing cloud has picked up also because now marketing also has become such complex uh, you know solutions that is being built and uh, marketing cloud has that ability to do everything using customization and code and things like that and also the experience that marketing cloud gives with all the integrations now i mean now it's marketing cloud and not part up mm-hmm. you were in the uk you were in um the us and you've spent a, a number of months as well um in australia and then obviously you you've returned to india each time and and how do you describe the differences between being like an onshore um like the experience of being an onshore consultant compared to working as an offshore consultant like what are the major differences for both you as the the person but also how how you're engaged by the customer any time if you are onshore being onshore client facing is a better experience because you're talking directly with them and uh, engaging with them and as i said uh, can also lead to better solution right many times what happens at offshore is um, you get a filtered version of what an onshore consultant or architect thinks and then you solution based on that in access i was lucky enough to be able to even do workshops and conversations with client directly so it was even when i was at offshore i was always client facing but many of the offshore roles um, is mainly on you know onshore facing would put a functional requirement and then you start working on them sometimes you do not understand the actual problem you are solving what the onshore person has perceived not that they are wrong to be very frank i love the onshore or the client facing part of it 
initial years india there was limited opportunities now india also has started accepting salesforce as a crm arundhati bhattacharya is the current ceo of salesforce um, made it big in the finance industry as well as hyperforce helped because um, india was also very reluctant about have data being shared so now there's lot of client facing opportunities in india for india business and that's why you can see the ctas are also coming back in in india because and uh, yeah we are also ready to lead from front but apart from that i think what i always find is the work life balance so when you are in say uk or us sorry uk and australia us not that much but at least uk and australia you have a very nice work life balance like you will shut down at after 5 pm and even the people are very considerate like whenever i work my clients my coworkers were very considerate that okay this is your personal time we should not disturb you but india it's um, you end up having work you know long working hours if you are working with a client they expect you to be available whenever they want you to be so then you know it's very difficult to draw the line you have to have that hard conversations to draw the line so yeah that's that's a major difference us uh, sometimes i feel they also work very hard per se you know beyond work hours and things like that but i love uk and australia in terms of work culture Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I can speak for both as well. I'm from the UK originally. I've been living in Australia for 13 years, but I think Australia has it perfect. I mean, there are obviously certain situations where people will look, work longer hours, but generally the work-life balance here is 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 great. In fact, if you work long hours, they would be like apologetic about it. I'm sorry you had to take the time out of family and then you you feel okay, you know, rather than you have to kind of thing. So um you mentioned as well around like CTAs now in in India and um, and that that's definitely been interesting to see and it's it's interesting to see how you explain that because like we had Poonam on the 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 show as well in the past and what we historically saw as offshore roles were developer you know consultants the requirements would be gathered onshore the design would be done onshore and then the brief would be sent offshore for build come back the the demos would be done onshore and and that's definitely changing now right and and y- yourself and who number examples of some of the more senior some of the more client engagement client facing work can be done anywhere in the world now and and do you think that's um, been driven by things like covid as well where people couldn't travel or do you think um it, as you mentioned is it more the work that's happening in india on salesforce rather than it being you know the customer facing roles are also being done from india but to australian clients i think it's mix india already always have a great mind so over a period of time we have been able to pick up those roles but covid definitely helped a lot because work anywhere culture basically told leadership or many times uh, because it was so competitive like in pre sales i i know how the whole thing changed uh, from onshore offshore we had to be more offshore to make the uh, it more competitive now when that happened few roles that could have easily come offshore was techar right the business application uh, analyst had to still be onshore functional people still had to be onshore because they had to be talking with the client uh, getting the requirements or what we used to uh, do was have one tech arc offshore uh, onshore and one tech arc offshore so for client engagements road mapping and things like that you had a senior tech arc but actual designing of the solution was is started being done offshore and in fact there are so much deliveries right now we are doing 100% offshore even clients across the world 
are understanding that we are paying more just for having one individual onshore. In fact, I was in a client meeting and we were discussing price and he looked at one line and he said, oh, there's no one worth one million, right? Because that architect over the whole financial year was one year on his bill. I think that is also a realization which is happening. Whatever roles that can be moved and uh, with, I think the designer certification and everything helped um, because everyone got certified, everyone was ready to pick, pick up the roles. So the roles were coming and there was a whole group of people who were ready to pick up the roles and deliver high quality. Because if it would have, would have come and the quality wasn't delivered, it wouldn't have stayed. Yeah, and that kind of, I think even the CTA thing, it was never a thought that we will create CTAs at offshore. Actually, Essentia invested. They invested on four CTA, you know, four people, sent them to Flow Republic for coaching. And the exam, as you know, CTA is not cheap. Thankfully, we had 100% results. All of us uh, have crossed the line. And and you mentioned pre-sales there. So um, now we'll talk about pre-sales and, and your experience, what that means for you and, and the journey you've been on to CTA and coming from the pre-sales background. But when did you first get exposed to pre-sales? It was Axis. So as I was aligned to non-for-profit part out and manufacturing domain. So I, I did the RFPs of, uh, for it, go-to-market strategy, everything. I worked very closely with my manager on that. And uh, somewhere that was the switch. I loved how fast-paced learning it happens in pre-sales. I'm generally a knowledge junkie. So I think it was the best place to learn. Like what I found was if you're on a project, you're there for six months plus one year and you learn only the things that are in the project but pre-sale you're you're doing you know rfp every two to like here it's more fast-paced but you're at least doing every two to three weeks and every uh, rfp is a different uh at essential it is a different domain technology so i have to you know be on it. So when I joined Essential, actually, my aim was to learn enterprise architecture because Axis being a small boutique firm didn't have huge projects, right? And with that aim, I actually took sales uh, solution architecture over technical architecture when I joined and it helped because in my first six months, I was, um, I, I solutioned a first education cloud, first health cloud, and I won those deals. And pre-sales generally are always ahead of the curve. So they are the first, before it actually goes into delivery, you have to always understand, right? So learn velocity, which is called industry cloud now. I think I've delivered health, media cloud, utilities, public sector education, non-for-profit, everything on industry cloud now, as well as being enterprise architect and uh, for multi-clouds, Salesforce integrations with Workday, Oracle, SAP. I mean, within two, three years to be able to do everything, uh, that will not happen in delivery. So it is difficult because you have to be fast-paced, but that, I love it. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy, helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA, then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. So for anyone listening that doesn't really understand that pre-sales role, obviously you've kind of uh, given some insight into like every two to three weeks you're working on a different RFP. But what goes into that RFP? So obviously you're you're needing to understand the use case, the requirements. What, what do you do differently to what a delivery architect would do once the project is won? 
generally, you know, there are two kinds of RFPs. There's one RFP which has detailed requirement. You can go through it, uh, solution it. A solution in sense, you would decide which all clouds would be needed. You would put a whole together solution blueprint saying, okay, to solve this issue, I would need a sales cloud, service cloud. I will go with XYZ app exchange. This would be the integrations needed, this much data migration. And then you would have to estimate for it and staff it. I mean, half of the pre-sales role is technology associated and half is, you know, Excel sheets where you're staffing it, pricing it. Stakeholder management also becomes a main part of it. At least in SHR, we have a very stringent um, review process. We're actually working with managing director, telling them why they should do this. Right. And those uh, actually having that viewpoint, what they have. And it's also a very fast learning uh, experience to grow as a leader. Right. And then the second part of the uh, some type of proposals are where they say, you know, you are already a big SI partner. Tell us how we solve our issue. So they wouldn't even give a business requirement or high level requirements. So in those, we have to actually research the industry understand what the common use cases are, define a MVP for them, like, okay, let's get started with this and to find an overall roadmap for two, three years. Many times you do get SMEs, at least functional SMEs, who will help you uh, document those use cases. But you would have to anyways um, design it with Salesforce, right? Like what can you use? Which clouds can you use? Which features you can use? And then estimate it, staff it, price it. Uh, with proposal, um, some organization, you would also be creating the proposal. In Accenture, we have a separate team. So our role is very much detailed as a pre-sales architect. That's your day-to-day. As I said, it's two to three days, uh, weeks you get. And in that, sometimes you have to understand the domain, understand a new cloud. Like, for example, when Media Cloud came in, when Utilities Cloud came in, no one knew it. So you had to, you're the first person who had to research. There's no even training. You know, you'd go to the Salesforce content and see how the fit gap analysis actually uh, happen. And then you include customization of whatever doesn't fit out of the box. While doing that, you have to ensure it is a deliverable solution as well as a winnable solution, right? So you have to put a delivery hat as well as a sales hat. Yeah, it's fast paced compared to delivery. We say generally pre-sales is not for everyone. Uh, but yeah, it's it's my drill and I think I love it. So uh, so would you build like proof of concepts as well as part of your role? Yes. For some some customers, uh, we uh, create proof of concept. We have a different team within uh, Accenture. Uh, we call it innovation team, which helps us with the POC creation. And uh, as a part of Oral's, we would demo uh, as well. There are many times while an RF- RFP comes and you see that is something that is going to come more, you know, like um, in US uh, child welfare, like the policy changed. And the, and I think that happened once uh, in Australia also when I was working there. The policy changes and you know that each state is going to now create an RFP. It's a good time to also go back to leadership and say, you know, it's the time to create an asset uh, which will help you pace up the development as well as by showing the asset, it's easier to win the deals as well. So, yes, I, I, it's a mix of POC, asset creation. Um, but as a pre-sale architect, you would give an input. At Essential, I was not involved in creating POC, but Axis being a boutique firm, you know, you have your hands everywhere. So you would also create a POC. 
So to me, that sounds like the kind of perfect role for going for the CTA, right? Because you're you're seeing lots of different requirements regularly. You're having to solution quickly. You know, you're having to get across all of the new and old um, technology within the Salesforce world. So when you decided to go for the CTA, you, you and being from that pre-sales background, what were the benefits and what were the negatives, I guess, for you um, going for the CTA with the knowledge you had as a pre-sales architect? I mean, the common conversation around the CTA community is the name is Certified Technical Architect, but it has a lot of things which is solution associated, right? Being a solution architect or anyone coming from pre-sales, it's, it's definitely helps. Positive terms, um, I had 70% of domain knowledge. I actually had one of the CTA candidate who failed the review board and I asked him, you know, what, what went wrong according to you? And he said, I went in the domain that came through. I didn't even know because you have three hours to solve. And if you don't know the domain, understanding the ask and designing itself becomes a challenge. Positive, obviously, um, I had the breadth. I knew domains. I knew a lot of clouds. In, in CTA, you usually use sales service experience. You do not use industry clouds, but at least you know how the so problem was solved. So that helps. Um, as uh, the fast-paid solution, like in three hours, putting a solution out there, that didn't scare me. So that was a benefit. Negative was a depth because in Axis, yes, I had the depth. But in uh, Essential, since I was only doing pre-sales, Salesforce grows so fast. There were so many things that I didn't know, right? So the depth I lacked, which I had to pick up, pick up in the journey. And how did you go about that, I guess? How, how do you go deeper into to certain areas? How do you identify the areas that you need to go deeper into? So I think Flow Republic actually helped there. So Seb has put a big Excel, a scary mind map, which is a, for the fit gap analysis. Day one, you hit the ground reality in terms of uh, what all you need to be expert on to sit the review board. We had a cohort, a group of um, six. Let me just put it out there. To become a CTA, you need to have a good study buddy because it's a long journey and you just cannot walk alone. So thankfully, I had a nice cohort, but all of them were technical architects. So when they were talking, most of the times I used to get lost because I had not even heard a few words. I used to you know, just quickly take the note, go back to help.salesforce trailhead and at least understand what they were saying. So that was my initial days. Eventually, what we did was we, you know, uh, distributed the topics. So I took all the clouds. I'm also a PM, so project governance, everything I'm comfortable with. So I took all those and they taught me uh, OAuths, integration patterns, you know, uh, Copardo and everything. So we taught each other. End of the CTA journey, like at least I say that, that it's not just knowledge that you gain. You gain great relationships, friends, mentors, some a group of people who, are, you know, you can work with uh, in, in future as you grow as a CTA. So I think I made long-lasting friends as a part of this journey because you were like learning together, struggling together. So yeah, that, that kind of helped uh, filling all those gaps that I had. That's amazing. And that's a recurring theme, I think. Like so many people talk about their study groups, whether they're from Flow Republic or ones that are out in the, you know, they find people themselves. Um, it seems that, that that definitely is the way to go. Now, you, you mentioned earlier your partner was in Salesforce before you. Um, so obviously, I guess they they understand the, the CTA as well. And, and not everyone 
has that, I guess, in terms of having a, a, an understanding partner that would understand why it's important, um, also the level of commitment required. But how did that journey work for you in terms of um, the level of, of input that, that it was going to take? Did you know that from the outset? Like, was there more than you were expecting? And, and how was that for the family as well, I guess? I have been hearing a lot of interviews and all the success LinkedIn updates, right? And the common theme was you need to take a lot of time out of your family, friends. And somehow, personally, that is something I didn't want to do. Like as a mom, I, I didn't want to take time off my kid. What I did, obviously, was outsource what I could. Cooking, cleaning, laundry. So in India, that helps. We have made, we have a village to take care of house as well as um, kid. So that is something I started. But what I did in turn to my health is I used to get up early morning, do my scenario, then work. Eventually, it started impacting my health. And um, I also tried to change my sleep pattern because review board is usually end of the, like it starts at 4.30, 5.30 hour time and goes to 11.30, 12. So it actually um, completely uh, spoiled my sleep and I was sleeping very late hours. And I think that's the time um, my husband and my kid actually he used to not wake me up in the morning sometimes. Like he, my kid used to go to school and I used to not know. So that's the kind of uh, commitment I think my husband. And I was like shocked my kid wasn't waking me up because he needed his mama. But he understood that mama was sleeping late and it's okay. She'll be there when I'm back. And I, I used to be like amazed. I used to get up and like the house is empty. And they were like, no, you slept late. So yes, that helped because he understood what it takes to be a CTA. What I feel is I scared him because he could be in a CTA journey as well. But, you know, I, I am the nerd of the family and uh, seeing me struggle so much with ours and my health as well. I think he is now not sure whether he wants to be in that journey kind of thing. So I'm just telling, you know, now I know I can actually direct you, but let's see. When you mention your health, obviously that's, you know, nothing's more important than your health. So was there any journey, any time through the journey when, when you questioned whether or not it was worth continuing? It started with third degree ligament tear, so which kind of kept me immovable for six months. So that had impacted my immunity. Over that, I had chikungunya, which is again leads to bones and limbs pain. And then the COVID somehow was the last straw because I was already having so much health issues. So when COVID hit me, uh, I took it a bit badly. Then I had other issues related to chest like bronchitis, sinus. So overall, because of the work hours, I mean, my work as well as CTA and generally the stress that you add on was affecting my immunity. It was I also actually took a time off in, in terms of at least for a few months, I was part time so that I could actually get back some health, have, you know, work-life balance. I wanted to just concentrate on life more rather than, you know, just running around. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty hard. And to be very frank, um, everyone I know who was on the journey had something going on. For me, it was my health. Someone had ailing parents, someone had kids uh, and things like that. So it is your persistence and resilience that takes you through the journey. No wonder there's just less than 400 CTAs in the world. It's not that there are not many technical architects. It's just that the journey itself is, I mean, it, it, it's not a two or three month journey. People sometimes fail and have to just keep going, going, you know. So you have to concentrate on the journey rather than the result or it just gets uh, very tiring. 
How important was it for you um, to for your family to be on that journey, like to understand, like for your your um, your child? Did you differentiate between work and CTA? Like, did they know, right? This is I can't go in that room because mum's on a video call with work, or I can't go in that room because mum's studying. Like, what, did there need to be a differentiation, or, or was it just all blurred into one? And, and you you came across as a workaholic. <laughs> for sure, I came out as a workaholic. My kid, when I started, was four and a half, five. So it was very difficult to explain him. But somehow he understood, uh, I think, the way I was. You know, mocks are very typical generally or the conversations you have at work. I mean, he was just five one day and he just... And I, I do not have a closed room policy for my kid. So he just came in and he asked me, Mama, is it work or Salesforce? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Salesforce, what you're doing, your exam, or is it, uh, you know, say a work? Without telling itself, he understood his mama was working on two different projects. And over the period of time, I think he was praying the most that I pass and he gets his mama back. <laughs> so though I tried my best not to cut his hours, but it, it's difficult, right? Many times you have your mock so late. So there are times and I... I couldn't take him to bed again. He would walk into me and I have done mocks where like I'm sleeping, you know, he's, he's there on me and I'm still talking and I'm making him sleep. So uh, that wasn't something which he wanted, obviously. So when I got my result, he was the person who was dancing, dancing the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say next question was how did it feel to pass and to, to share that with you know, your loved ones and, and for people that had seen the, the toll it had taken on your health and things like that to actually get the outcome at the end. What was that feeling like? So my first re reaction was a relief. The sense of achievement actually started coming when the wishes started pouring in. Then it was a like bit, I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but when, you know, you actually start hearing from people, you start realizing it is over and it gets overwhelming. Like I had a lot of ladies write to me that it is inspirational, right? To see you do all like work, CTA. And I am also like, um, I'm big on Instagram and Reels actually. So whatever I do, I actually put it out there like a cute uh, reel. So they know I also enjoy life. So they were like, how do you do this? And even my, in my work, I was not very loud about that. I'm in a CTA journey. So when I became CTA, I went into meetings and people were like, how did you do between so many deals, right? So yeah, at that point, it was like, oh, yes, I did something big and it was humbling, overwhelming. Ultimately, I'm actually glad I didn't fail because somewhere I used to always feel how would I motivate my kid in the future, right? To not give up and things like that. Not many people say this, but CTA, however much of a technical you are, it actually boils down to that day. What scenario you get, many times even the judge, it so much depends on your mental and physical health. People are capable. It's just that they are not able to convert it. Your luck plays a very good role. So I was just relieved <laughs> that I, I just crossed the line. So if, if you look at start to finish, um, how different are you now um, after the journey? And obviously the, the result is great, but I know the journey means so much to people. And they, you know, obviously you, you've made friends and things like that, which is also awesome. But as an architect, how much more well-rounded are you now having gone through that journey? A lot. I mean, from where I started, I was a non-for-profit consultant uh, or part-out consultant. From there to being a CTA, I have learned a lot. I think I can go into any meeting not worried about 
you know what would be thrown at me so as a individual as a architect as a professional i think it is great i, I always tell people it's okay if and if you don't want to become a cta plus do take the journey because you learn so much in the journey just those initial prerequisite architect and cta obviously it's a all round development it's not just technical it's also communication it's also storytelling it's also how you manage the stress because you have 45 minutes of presentation and 45 minutes of q&a right so in that they try to change the scenario and you have to be giving a solution on the uh, on the top so it actually grooms you overall having said that i feel cta is a super power right and with great power comes great responsibility because now people take you for the word of it and if you say wrong it is out there it's like oh that cta said it must be right that is the responsibility you carry and you have to be always on the top of the game in terms of knowledge you should know what you're saying you're advising is right so yes grown but also very scary in terms of now i i know i need to be always right yeah yeah having now gone deeper obviously that was the area that you like you needed to to go deeper to to pass because you you were quite broad in what you were doing has that enticed you to want to go into delivery more or or do you still getting everything you need from the world of pre-sales i just had a conversation with my lead where i was like i'll have like to mix it now with pre-sales is i enjoy so i would not leave it but i would like to mix it with technology consulting delivery in sense on a high level discovery you know designing the solution reviewing the solution so yes i think the next steps would be to mix i have a all round role with pre-sale consulting and delivery just became i'm just digesting but yeah, i think that would where the next steps lie yeah nice nice well i'm excited to see what does come next and uh yeah really really great to hear about your journey and hopefully um our, our listeners are inspired and yeah take take on board some of your your excellent advice and guidance through what you learned through the the journey to cta and your early career so if anyone is listening and wants to to reach out and ask any questions where's the best place to find you linkedin i'm very much active on linkedin Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon. And thanks again.